Welcome to the uh, Media Cat Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Pigger, editor at the magazine. Uh, and for today's uh, pod, we're going to be talking about, uh, amongst other things, uh, gamification and subscriptions and publishing and creator stuff. Um, and the two people that I have with me are going to correct me on all of these uh, things that I've said. Um, so uh, let's get into this. Uh, basically, I've got two, two guests with me today, uh, Toby Beresford. Uh, is author of the book Infinite Gamification and head of client engagement at, uh, I'm going to say Vinificus, but we'll, we'll sort of get into the pronunciation of that in a second. Uh, and Tom uh, Tom Bryant, who's the uh, the founder and CEO of Vinificus as well. Welcome to both of you. Hi, yeah. Mike. Thank you. Thank you for having uh, Tom. Yeah, uh, as, I, as I said, I'm stumbling over the uh, pronunciation. So, Tom, please correct me. How is the company yeah, pronounced? That, that, that's fine. Most people do. So, um, I call it. I call it Beneficus. Beneficus, yeah. okay. A panic decision when I, back when I was a sole trader and the accountant said you need a name for the company, um, panicked, and then it's been that ever since. And I kind of <laughs> wish it wasn't. Has anyone ever called it Veni F or you know just giving it a little nickname? Uh, not a nickname yet. It's been called all kinds of things, but no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Okay. Can you? Well, okay. Other than other than what people may have may have called it, can you can you explain what you guys do? What's the company do? Sure. So there's um, there's basically two sides to the business. One is um, a publishing side where we own sort of a few websites uh, with with large audiences, um, and the other is a publishing network. So um, we started as a publisher where uh, our sort of flagship site, Magic Freebies, is the largest freebie site in the UK. So we aggregate uh, product samples, free trials, and things like that for our users. Um, and then out of that, with our relationships, we've built both on the client side and publisher side, we built our own uh, partner network, which specializes in sort of free trials and subscriptions and things like that. Cool. So are you sort of, uh, how, how long's the business been going? What's the... What, what um, so I started Magic Freebies when I was a kid, when I was about 11. Um, it was like a side project at school. Um, and then it wasn't very serious for, for my school and uni years. Um, and then as I left uni, it kind of became a company rather than a sole trader. So were you one of those kids, like everyone's like outside playing or whatever, and you're like, I've got to start a business, I'm, I'm busy. Like, <laughs> um, No, it was kind of, I was just, I, it, was, it was the time when the internet was becoming a thing. I mean, it was still dial up. So I remember when you got, like it was big news when someone got a computer and got the internet. Um, and then just mucking around on on websites, realised you could you could build websites and things like that. And then I was in these uh, the, back then there were these news groups on Outlook, which were kind of like mini forums. Um, and there was a few for freebies and, and bargains and things like that. Joined them, managed to get some freebies. Took took them in school when no one could believe you could get stuff for free. So then. Um, I was like these, you know, a lot at the time, there was no real distinction between the UK and the US when you were on a search engine. Um, mm. And there were no really good sites putting all this information together in the UK. So I thought, why not? I'll do it as a, I think there was a school project at the time in uh, IT or ICT or whatever they called it back then, where you could choose to to build a website that's what that's what i did so what what just i know this is like i'm already off topic i was going to ask you guys <laughs> other stuff but what freebies did you get because i'm kind of imagining you just like strolling into school in like i don't know like a royal robe and like jewelry <laughs> and i don't know just like rocking it. uh yeah not not so much fun as that so uh one of them was this calculator that you could roll up okay nice um 
which is something to show at school. How, like how, you were eleven at the time, right? Yeah. 11. 11. Okay. Well, that's that's going to impress. That's going to impress other eleven-year-olds, right? Yeah, it impressed like, eleven-year-old me. So, okay. Yeah, okay. That was cool. enough. Um, and also, do you remember? Oh, I don't know if you do remember. There were those sort of finger decks you could get with like mini skateboards. Yes. And they would drive. They would drive teachers nuts with with you playing with them and stuff like that. So I managed to get uh, one of those free as well, and that was that was kind of what kicked it off. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's just to get the bug, and then you're like, right, this is this could be something. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And uh, so, so to- Toby, uh, I guess that that kind of leads on a little bit to perhaps uh, I'm I'm hoping in a wonderful segue as to what you do. So you're responsible for audience gamification, right? Um, at the company, can, can you explain what that is? Yeah. Well, so um, I'm responsible for lots of things at the company, but one of the main things we want to do is to uh, to try and uh, help people to find freebies that are good for them. So one of the things about, I, I don't know whether you've ever tried, if you, it's always worth trying. I mean, go, I mean the, web, the website Magic Freebies, you can just sign up and you can try. It's very easy to get a freebie. Um, so I, I'm like, I've got, I've got some here. Uh, you won't be able to see them if you're on the podcast, but, you, but this, this, this is, I, I like this one. It's a really good example, good example of the sort of freebie you can get like a ways that company ways who do, um, uh, do those kind of online maps. They've got this traffic jam where you get, we get, you can, you can, they're giving up, they give away free um, jam that they've got from roadside berries. Uh, and all you have right. to do is just sign, you just sign up on their website and they, they, they post you a whole jam jar uh, full of, uh, of, of, jam, of, of jam. So it's a great sort of example of free jam. There we go. Um, I, mean, so, I, I love jam. Is it? Is it good? Is it good? Jam? I, haven't, I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> it's still in the packet, ready to. The trouble is, as soon as I try it, then it's not going to look good on any photos that I take. But I will. I will. I am going to try it. But nice. the um, the um, I can try it now. Actually, why not? Hang on. There's no time like the present. <laughs> here we like go. A live, a live tasting. A live tasting. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. okay so here. Yeah, that actually. Do, do you guys mm. have you guys heard of the company? There's a company that um, they uh, do something with roadkill. Um, I yeah. think it's like, um, uh, so, so, you know, they take like the pelts and the, the furs or whatever off of roadkill in the US, and then they turn that into like sustainable clothing. So if you do want fur, it's essentially coming from something that has, <laughs> you know, it basically has no use almost doing that, no value anymore. So they're sort of, they're finding a way to do that. I've forgotten the name of the company, but it was, it was a nice idea because it was like, what else do you do with roadkill? You know, it's just oh, roadkill. Yeah. Um, it's a good idea it's... to reduce waste, isn't it? You're actually doing something with it. Yeah. No, well, yeah. I mean, that's probably the same sort of idea behind ways. I mean, the, I mean, the jam is delicious for anybody who's who's wanting nice. it. So there okay. you go. I shall have that on my toast later. So yeah. So my so my job. So you were asking what my job is. My job is really to kind of enthuse people about the possibilities of of freebies and um, to signpost them on 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 the kind of the behaviour that helps you get helps you get the right freebies and uh, sort of understand that understand how to engage with brands and in, in this sort of area of free trials and product samples mm. i mean you've kind of been in this this sort of space a little while right you know you, you wrote your when did you write your book uh, so, uh, so my <laughs> my book embarrassingly took four years to write <laughs> I, honestly my my screenplay has taken about that long and i just I, I i'm counting two years of the pandemic where i just stopped writing so. i know i know and when you read it when i i think it's I think the best way to cons- consider think of it is is condensed. I mean, it's the same length as a 
to give you my my wife wrote a wrote a kind of a series for for work in um uh and it took her sort of two i think it she took took sort of three or four days over it and it's the same length <laughs> the number of words as that so it's a very condensed book um but I, yeah it took about four years about three or, so over the last five years um i wrote the book and it was based on all my experience working with different companies around this whole area of gamification, which for, I mean, I, I suppose for lots of people won't really know what gamification is, but it, it's essentially, it's, it's a way of um, taking what we've learned from uh, game design and just applying it to the, the real world. So, uh, and games are really good at, uh, at engaging people, showing them what to do, keeping them, keeping them motivated. Uh, and so it's really kind of using those techniques and applying them to things like looking for good freebies for uh, uh, for engaging audiences. You think? Do you think that these days, like brands have got a, a handle on on kind of uh, gamification? Or I know it's sort of, it, was, it was a thing like I don't know five mm. years ago or so. Like you know, did did they, did they figure it out? Or do, do you seeing like good and bad examples still out there of? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's I think lots of people think they know what gamification is. I think you'll 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 most marketers and most uh, UX designers will say, yeah, I understand gamification. Uh, generally speaking, if you can see the gamification or you notice the gamification, it's probably bad gamification. So you know when you you know I went to somebody's uh, somebody there are lots of people trying out metaverse sites at the moment, and I arrived on a on a corporate. Uh, webs it was a corporate sort of you know IT solutions company and I arrived on their metaverse site and it was you know pirate island and so they kind of they kind of they sort of suddenly created something new they created something that looked like a game uh in order to try and get people to engage with their kind of corporate um IT solutions and I think that that that's a good that's an example of where people have got it wrong where they've 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 thought oh it what it means is making something more like a game which it, it's not really that it's much more about using the mechanics that behind games to kind of help engage people so i think i think people do people know what it is and they've they've probably seen it in action they probably they probably haven't sort of unless they've really kind of thought it through they probably haven't used it um effectively yet because it's 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 much more um it's much more it's, it's much more nuanced i think than, than most people give it credit for and um so you touched on the metaverse for a second there. Um, yeah. Is that kind of like, uh, do you guys think that's like the, the sort of the latest Wild West area, like metaverse, NFTs, kind of everyone's going a bit nuts? Like, I mean, how are you finding, uh, you know, sort of brands playing into these kind of areas? Yeah, so it's, it's very frothy, isn't it, the metaverse? And I think, so you see you see things like sort of, I mean, the, the classic one is that is companies like Otherworld or uh, trying to sort of sell space real estate, trying to sell land in the metaverse. And you're like, well, I'm sure we did this 20 years ago with a million dollar webpage. And it's, it's basically not really any different. You know, people can, you don't, there's no really way you can, there's no constraint in amount of land online. And there's thousands of places you can get there with a click of a, with a click of a button or a hyperlink. So I, I think, you know, metaverse itself is very frothy, but there is a kind of, there is a kind of a move there are some fundamentals which mean that we will move towards that sort of engagement over time. So um, there will be things that work better in the metaverse that you can't do on Zoom, you can't do on a on a normal website, you can't do with email. So I think as a as a as as people who like you know like you you and your audience and like us is sort of in the media. I mean we're always thinking 
okay, what's this new media? How's it going to be used? How are the how are the audience going to engage on it? I mean, I I watch my my um, my kids playing, and they're they're metaverse natives. You know, their worlds are Minecraft, Roblox, Rocket League, Fortnite. Those are that it for them is the digital world, and everything that's not that is is a is a lesser experience so you know we it's it's like you go and play they don't play they don't really play those games where it's just them and the computer they play games where it's them the computer and their friends all wandering around together so i think the fact that we're seeing that kind of next generation come up as being metaverse natives means that there were there are going to be um experiences that are are better and different that people want to do in the metaverse and and coming back to your sort of question about gamification, I think that quite a lot of gamification design is often is often try people to try to add it on to something that's already there. So a bit like um, uh, so, uh, but so you you kind of take your website or something and you say I'd like to add my gamification to this to get people to engage more. But for the new experiences, what we see is that people it's designed from the bottom up with gamification. And that's a, that's a lot, lot healthier. And it tends to mean you get something a bit more interesting. Mm. I mean, so you guys as, as, as a business finding uh, you having clients kind of coming to you, uh, wanting to dip their toe into the, to, into the metaverse in some way. Um, I don't know, in some uh, like and you guys work with sort of subscriptions, right? Like, mm. uh, you know, kind of, uh, one of the things I was reading the other day is uh, in, in a post-pandemic world, direct consumer subscription models are, are more important than ever. You know, is this is this a, is this a thing that, that we're going to potentially see within the metaverse or just in general? Or you know, what, what's uh, it, the, the way things are evolving for you guys? Uh, I imagine it's going to come at some stage. We haven't we haven't had any brands sort of directly talking to us about it yet, but I mean. Uh, yeah, I think everything's going to start existing in the metaverse that can, basically. So if if uh, brands can get people subscribing to stuff within a metaverse, then then they're going to do it. Yeah, and what I mean, what what we what we're also seeing is that this the subscription models is something that has increased, particularly during the pandemic. And we've we've we st- we what you what you see is you see quite a lot of me too type subscription models come along. So you get you get what for example there's one beer company does it and then suddenly every beer company is developing its own uh subscription model uh and and i think that um direct to the consumer opportunity um is super useful for brands i mean we've had we've we we see brands that are um are in are really um are really kind of seeing an opportunity rather than anything else particularly where they haven't perhaps like a like a pub, you know, when the, during the pandemic, they they all sat at the breweries, sort of sat at home, not delivering ale anywhere. So I think there's there was suddenly a space in the um, in everybody's thinking, product development thinking. You say, well, okay, well, how do we offer our product in, through a different channel? Um, I mean, Tom, we what was um, you you were sort of you were you were you were thinking about um, sort of that whole kind of area of loyalty, weren't we? With one one, I mean, what did you think of um, uh, what do you think of what Prep were doing? Yeah, so that was an interesting one. I think that was directly born out of the, the pandemic because they were just trying to get footfall into their stores. Um, and the best way to do it was, or I guess, give away free coffee for a month and then get mm. everyone hooked. And, and you're not just going, well, a lot of people aren't just going into Brett to, to grab a coffee. They'll go in and buy other things as well. But for them, I think they were just, what subscriptions do is is keep loyalty to your brand because you're paying for it 
and so you might as well use it um, for, for something like Pret in particular. So I guess their, their thinking there was we can create a very sticky audience who aren't going to go into Costa or Nero or any, anywhere else. They're going to come to us and that's what we desperately need when we have all this uncertainty. So I think subscriptions give that extra level of certainty. Um, and what you were saying about breweries there, I think the one thing a brewery will want to be sure of is get offloading its product every month. And doing that direct to consumers is quite hard because you've got to predict demand. But if you've mm. got people subscribing to your product, you know exactly how much you're going to sell each month. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned, obviously, that there was the pandemic and like some of these sprung up out of a kind of a, a need to try and keep the business businesses going. Um, uh, are you seeing like many of these these brands kind of keeping that sort of subscription as a kind of keeping it going post pandemic in a way like on, on, on the side or um, maybe it's become their whole, you know, a larger part of their business now or, you know, with breweries, I guess they want people to return to pubs and stuff. But they might also keep the subscription side going and not just let it, you know, wither and die. Like, you know, it's, it's become a, a sort of a legitimate revenue stream, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I, I haven't seen any stop. They've, they've all kept going. Um, and I think, you know, it, for brands to deal direct with the consumer, they can get a lot more feedback um, alongside that certainty as well. So it's just so useful to have you know, a bunch of consumers buying your product month in, month out. Um, and you can try new things quite easily on a subscription, you know, model, especially with beer where you're sending people different beers every month. The expectation mm -hmm. is I'm going to get different beers every month. So I can, as a brewery, decide, you know, let's try all these new products out, see how they go down and we can formulate a business plan off the back of them. Yeah, I must admit, I've, I've started buying... A as an individual i've stopped buying beer sort of beer for home from the supermarket and i now buy it but i don't i'm not quite at the subscription level but i'm buying it mail order from because there's a there's a specific company that we try we try we had a beer tasting during the pandemic with some mates and he we, we all put we all bought a, a box from this company box steam brewery and um, we tried it out and I, I developed the taste i literally developed the taste for it and i so now i order that box and it comes and i get different tastes and i can see and I, so I've, I've, I'm definitely one of those kind of customers who've, who've, I've developed a loyalty to that specific brand. But I've also, I'm also kind of quite excited about the sort of the, 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 the personalised, you know, getting. I mean, one of the great things about this is it's because um, my partner is is gluten free, so it's actually gluten free beer, so we can share the beer at home. And and, and so it's quite. You're right. There is. There, I think to my, you might your question. You know, is it going to last? I think quite often you you taste these things and then you think this is a this is a great way of getting beer. And so I think yeah, I think there's definitely a, 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 an ongoing market. Is, is there going to be like a saturation point, you know, because I, I think about like streaming services, right? And like, there's so many springing up and there'll be more coming in the UK, like HBO Max isn't even in the UK yet. But, mm. um, you know, I think there's Paramount Plus, Disney Plus, Apple, Netflix are putting their subscription prices up, interestingly. Um, you know, is are we going to reach a saturation point? We can't subscribe to everything, right? I, I think so. I think there's going to come a point where people go, I've got too many subscriptions going out every month. And they take a hard look at it. And I think you're you're definitely seeing that now. I mean, if you look at, you know, Netflix is a, a good example. The share price I had looked today is, is plummeted. And, and that's just because they're getting, there's, there's too much competition in that space. And consumers are starting to think, 
you know, do I need Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, Netflix? I mean, that all adds up and suddenly you're spending, you know, 100 quid a month on your TV. Um, so, yes, I think I think in terms of specific verticals, there will reach saturation, but I think you're going to see much more growth in subscription models in general. So brands and, and sectors trying out subscription um, you know, when they haven't in the past and it's something completely new for them. Yeah, I, I think we're seeing basket erosion. So over time, we the, the, the typical shopping basket that you get from the supermarket is going to be eroded by subscriptions. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I already... I'm just thinking again, thinking about my own world, my own like worldview. But the, so I've already talked about, you know, we don't, I don't get my beer from the supermarket anymore. So that's one, one, one category that's that's gone. Then um, I think about it. I actually get my my. This shows how <laughs> shows where I'm coming from. But anyway, I, my coffee, my is it my is subscription from Amazon. I use subscribe and save to get the get the decaf from there. And then I use Kingdom Coffee to get the. Um, the big the big beans. So actually, I don't buy coffee beans or or coffee gra um, grated grounded co coffee. Um, I'm looking at one of the ones that we've been looking at is for dog food is tails. So they um, and they offer what they they're they're really interesting because their subscription model actually personalizes the food to the dog. So you're actually you're actually sort of you're actually sun I mean once you're on tails we aren't on tails yet but once you're on tails you're 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 very much locked in because you're getting actually a, a more convenient and a better kind of argue more relevant product for the dog from um by, by being on subscription so so I, I yeah so I think what you will see is is rather than sort of a saturation but you will see this kind of this kind of kind of shaving off of the overall basket size uh, so that so that actually what we go to the supermarket for is less will be more and more kind of mainly the fresh stuff basically i guess as well like uh, there's obviously subscriptions but um, it kind of got me thinking a bit like when you're saying about like there's an element of convenience there right for like um especially if you're in cities like i'm i've seen over the the pandemic like lots and lots of kind of either local uh you know cafe cafes and delis and places springing up near where i live that are kind of a lot nicer because they know that so many more people are working from home and I don't know great resignation and stuff like that we could probably get into but and then in addition to that there's like all the springing up of uh, all the grocery delivery services everywhere like you know Getir and Gorillas and all the others um and that's just the convenience level of that is is crazy you know it's like they, they deliver in like 11 minutes or whatever um no. some of their no. some of their things so you might not get everything but you know if you just want some bits and bobs you can't be bothered to go out to the shop um it's great but i do want i wonder if it's making us all lazier um which is getting everything delivered all the time yeah I, I mean, I mean, you could argue that it's it's returning to an older model of grocery shopping, where you know where you did get delivering. I mean, when you, I mean, you, there there was the sort of, I mean, in the when when the tiger that comes to tea, there's a there's a boy with his grocery bike who comes around to the house and delivers the food. So, the, yeah, we, there is. Um, I mean, I think there there is an advantage. There is there is an advantage in convenience delivering. I mean, there are. Um, I mean, I think that that those kind of uh, get here type services are very over leveraged so they've got loads of money being paid for them by lots of vcs so whether they are profitable or not remains to be seen i think there's only a, sm a small you know the, certainly it's not something a model that scales outside big cities you, you can't have <laughs> ordering a ordering a, a, a box of sugar and having the guy drops you know just drive 11 miles to find your house in the middle of the country and only paying for the price of the sugar it just 
there's no way that that will work. So, but um, having said that, you know, there is there is a very effective delivery network that is low cost. So um, subscriptions can and do work. I want to I want to uh, uh, sort of slightly change yeah. uh, tangent a, a little bit to um, talk about continue to talk about sort of changing things and evolving things. So there's my common thread. Okay. Um, but um, uh, creator economy stuff and influencers, um, mm. you know, and uh, have you what have you guys seen there in terms of sort of changes during the uh, the, the pandemic and the last few years? Um, you know, platforms like TikTok went kind of crazy in you know in the last few years. Um, I remember I did a podcast with them uh, at my uh, old company, the Marketing Society, uh, when, I, when I was there, uh, where I talked to TikTok about um, kind of the, the rise of subcultures and how important they are on the, on the platform and, and how brands can kind of interact with them. Um, you know, and, and, and I think we've, we've seen some really interesting examples uh, on TikTok during the pandemic of things that you just you couldn't predict. Um, you know, is, is, is it all about TikTok these days? You know, are there other platforms out there, you know, feeding into what brands are up to and how they're interacting with influencers, et cetera? Mm. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I think TikTok obviously has seen this rapid growth, but everyone's sort of trying to get to grips with the best way to, to get your message out there in a subtle influencer type way, I think. It's much more nailed down now with with Instagram and, and things like that and Facebook because they're just much older platforms. Um, but this sort of short form uh, variety you're trying to get on on TikTok is 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 a tricky one to master. So um, I think I mean you know everyone's going to start you know pushing pushing money into TikTok because so many people are using it, but. Um, it, it seems like it's not quite there yet, I don't think. I mean, you do hear, obviously, huge success stories. Um, but, but yeah, everyone's trying to find their feet, I guess, and see, see the best way to, to, to leverage the platform. Yeah, I mean, what, and what, I mean, one of our issues with, with any of the influencers that you're talking about is that because they're, they tend to be subcultures, it tends to be quite a niche subculture. So the, the, the difficulty for brands is, is not so much really about finding influencers or finding people to engage with it's getting volume through those the influencers i mean lots of um when a brand sort of puts effort into marketing they 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 there's a certain cost economy there's a certain scale of the amount of effort they put into creating assets or even just engaging with an influencer that they need a they need volume in terms of people engaging on the back whether that's signing up for a subscription or you simply just sign up to a mailing list so there that i think the the issue i think for 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 brands engaging in that space is 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 less about the you know less about whether it works or not but whether it works at scale uh and i mean i've i've got a great i mean my 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 well one one example that springs to mind is a huge influencer so massive um massive in a particular niche area in sports and with with millions of followers and a brand that had a um a specific, um, a, a specific kind of um, a product that, in theory, was right in keeping with this influencer, and so they they built a, a kind of a marketing plan around um, this influencer, kind of kicking it off and getting all their followers to just to, to sign up to the brand new product, and it all looked great on paper. But when it actually when it actually came to shove, the 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 influence only able to kind of deliver a certain amount of volume, which was almost nothing i mean it was it was it was peanuts and mainly because all of 
of the, the, their followers were, they were kind of aspirational. They weren't necessarily in the UK or the US. They were spread around the world uh, or they were too young for the product. Lots of reasons, but they, the, 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 the audience didn't match. And, and so one of the things that we kind of find ourselves coming up against all the time, we do work with some influencers at, at Venefica's network. So we do have some, some of the biggest, some huge influences in the spaces that we deal with, for, for example, around parenting and sort of mummy bloggers, some of the top mummy people. Um, and mummy engages, but what you find is it's only the absolute kind of the, the 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 what we almost you might call a super publisher or the super influencers that can actually drive the volume that makes it worth the the, the worth getting involved with from a brand point of view. So I think that's that's probably the probably the kind of the limiting factor around that space at the moment is 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 around is around is around kind of volume. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna say like, um, actually, that sort of leads on to like whether the bubble bursts, right? Like, um, you know, just brands getting slightly obsessed with influencers, whereas, like you say, like maybe they're uh, sitting within a subculture or a niche group, and they're sort of, uh, by definition, it's a smaller audience, right? And like, you know, if the brand's just doing that, they're perhaps forgetting the fact that there's, you know, the majority of people which are not within a subculture or, uh, or, or you know, a niche and stuff, and um, you, you can perhaps, I guess, guess get carried away with it. Um, if they, I, like, I like to try and find these common themes within our chats and uh, yeah. perhaps the, the theme of this one is getting carried away. Um, we, <laughs> we've got uh, the metaverse and NFTs and, you know, subscri- subscription models to everything um, and, uh, and uh, influencers. And uh, perhaps it's, yeah. a, you know, just, just, just calm down with everything. Just take a step, take a breath. Yeah. Um, is, is this what you guys often advise or is this just me rambling? No, I think there's some truth in that. I think one thing we we we'd always think about is this distinction between why. So, if you've got a a super influencer, we'd call them. Are their followers following them just by the virtue of them being famous or well known, or are they following them because they share the same interests? So, if you're really into a topic, your your follow you know, micro-influencers in that space who you really trust, they give great sort of reviews on products that you might want to try out, and you are likely to buy those products from from recommendations from those influencers. But if you're just following someone, you know, because they're on the TV or because they're a well-known influencer, when they start pushing a product, you might not even be interested in that product in the first place. So they're just, they're sort of pushing this message out to a bunch of people who aren't interested in that uh you know market or niche or anything but follow them so there's this sort of tension there's always a tension between volume and quality because the 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 bigger the the publisher the bigger the influencer the obviously the more followers they've got but the the fewer followers in a ratio they will have who are generally interested in the product you're getting them to push whereas if you do it with a micro influencer you're going to get a small group of people who have a much higher propensity to buy that product or interact with your brand, but you're not going to get the volume. Um, so it's it's a very tricky market and one that can just cost, you know, vast amounts of money for for not very good results. Yeah, I, I, in the Venefica's logo, there's this sort of antennae thing. In the, I mean, it's, it's it's crazy, but I think I think there's some there's a, it's a sort of a funny sort of truth around having good antenna in this world about you you know this idea of being carried away. I mean. One of my key antenna that I always use is, is this service or product or thing or whatever it is that we're looking at? I'm, cause I'm always on, you know, I'm always to, I sort of inhabit a world that's kind of 
a digital world at any rate that's two or three years ahead of the mainstream. So I'm I'm naturally going to be excited about metaverse or whatever NFTs or whatever. But what one of the so my I sort of as my antenna, I've I've one of one of one of them is the volume question is you know does the data you know when you look at the data are there thousands and millions of people like for example on TikTok whatever. But then the other one is is are there people who are outside my bubble who I suddenly start to see using a product. So I mean tails to use them again it's a great example we went around for a kids play date the other day and there you know the mum the mum was use, was using tails and got out tails and fed the dog and i thought oh, okay hang on this is this is a product and a service this personalized dog food idea subscription that has got out of the sort of the 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 kind of the 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 Kool-Aid drinking society that we we kind of early adopters tend to be so so I think I think the key for any marketer is is is, is it, it's fine to get carried away, but but you have to keep it keep it within the within your sort of you have to have good antenna that tell you when is the point where it's it's not this isn't just amongst amongst us the little sort of the the the, the cool not cool kids is the wrong word but um, the people who are excited about something new versus actually going into the mainstream and I think one of the challenges for a company like you know like Venefica is is um, working with brands is that we we're much more interested in early majority late majority because um, that's where the volume are so we're we're trying to find the publishers and the influencers that are that are talking to that audience and it's so it's 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 about it's about having good antennae it's about knowing um knowing that we're not actually although we're, we're, we're that we're not actually going to be uh, you know, chasing the next bauble, we're actually trying to find trying to find the sort of the big trends. Yeah, there's there's a there's another thing I want to pick up on, which is um, the kind of uh, sort of following on from this, which is kind of small versus big. Mm. So um, obviously, we're saying about uh, you know uh, influencers or or, or um, you know other areas we talked about where uh, you, you're tackling like a niche, uh, you know, subculture or a small audience versus getting the big volume through. Um, whether that's a big company doing it or whether it's a brand that just wants to like scale up or whatever. Um, I just, I, I, I'm kind of interested in how um, things are evolving to the point where, because uh, somebody wrote something for me once where they were talking about, uh, if we come back to like the streamers like Netflix and stuff and how uh, there's a rise of um, really niche streamers um, mm -hmm. where, you know, you can, you can subscribe to that and you're going to watch like, I don't know, something incredibly obscure like that's only going to apply to however many people around the world dutch, but dutch fishing videos something yeah <laughs> something i don't know and um but like it's it's almost like uh can our businesses starting to move into to perhaps this this evolved state where they can potentially have some incredibly niche things that don't necessarily generate loads of revenue but they're kind of they're solid they're loyal they've got their little loyal base of customers and then they can target kind of the bigger general people with general general campaigns and stuff yeah. like are you finding like brands are kind of trying to do both or are they sort of picking a lane and saying we're going to be niche or we're going to be big and broad um is is this a way that things are evolving towards you think um yeah i you do, definitely with streaming services you do see some very niche niche ones out there but i think that's i mean that's the beauty of the internet and social media it's never been easier to find your niche so it was very hard 20 years ago to, to find, you know, hundreds, thousands of people who shared your common interest. But I think Reddit was sort of instrumental in that. And now, you know, you've got Facebook basically moving to a more Reddit model, which is groups, which is essentially a forum again. Um, and now it is very easy to find, find your niche. And if you're a brand, 
it's very easy to start targeting those groups and subreddits and things like that. Um, so you can launch a very niche product, but find basically your entire niche in one fell swoop. But um, like you say, the revenue is not going to be massive, but you know they're going to be very loyal and they're super interested in that in that thing. So um, yeah, we're definitely seeing it, particularly in streaming. You know, you get separate horror ones, separate just British drama ones, um, and they're all you know it, it's like it's like most things they're probably owned or are and some are definitely owned by the larger players and they just don't make a song and dance of it but they are doing it um so yeah i think that's that's it's it's never been a better time to launch a niche product um i guess we're i, I realize we're, we're running out of time now but i just wanted to uh I, I guess kind of wrap up um ask you guys you know what are you excited about about the year ahead you know i said i mentioned the phrase post pandemic earlier but i'm I'm not actually sure we're out of the pandemic. I don't really know what phase we're in now, but you know, for the business and and, and sort of any products or side hustles you got coming up, is it sort of what, what's exciting you both as we as we uh, you know head into the spring or the summer? Well, gamification for one, I've got a great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, finding finding more of our you know feet with with gamification, gamified Reddit previous audience. Um, that is, that's a big challenge and something we're sort of undertaking at the moment. Um, and then for us personally as a company, growing more in the States, um, you know, just the market size there is gigantic. And we're, we're sort of using our, our client relationships, with, especially with subscription services. If a company, you know, go back to tails, they start in the UK, they find it works. There's no reason why they can't go into other markets. So. We, we often find with a lot of our clients, they start in one geo and then move to others. So for us, um, the, the sort of most exciting thing on that is, is taking more of our business to, to the States um, and bringing over some of our UK and European clients to, to launch into the States. I almost feel like it would work better there, right? Because, uh, or, 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 you know, it'd be more popular in a way because I was always under the, under the impression that uh, American audiences, for example, I know vouchers aren't the same as freebies, but like that they were always a lot more receptive to vouchers than, say, you know, yeah. uh, UK uh, consumers. Um, yeah, for, for, for sure, yeah, couponing is a gigantic, mm. gigantic thing over in the states, and um, we, we we definitely do see that with some of our subscription clients. You know, they're they're sort of ticking over nicely in the UK, and then you you send it to the states, and it just goes mad it's i yeah we were talking to one of our i was talking to one of our us publishers the other day and i said i can't believe how popular this product is over there in the states um and i don't know why that is i maybe they're just i mean they see they see marketing in a completely different way than than the uk like you you see some things in the states and you just think that could never you could never transfer that uh ad or landing page or whatever to the uk because people just wouldn't believe it but um in the states, yeah, but there's some there's some things that just completely surprise you on how well they work and how interested that that audience is. It's exciting. It's it's really exciting. And like you say, the population there is you know five six times the size of the UK. So it's it's great to see you know bigger bigger numbers. And you, yeah. you're also going to find like it's going to vary from state to state, right? So what, what what might work on the coastal states might not work in the in the you know central us and or north versus south etc yeah, as well yeah. 
Um, yeah. I remember driving around Louisiana and just seeing these massive billboards that were uh, uh, literally every quarter of a mile. It was either one guy or another guy. Um, and they were like two uh, competing maritime lawyers. Apparently maritime, <laughs> if you need maritime law, um, it was one of these two guys, but they were, it was almost like they were having a feud with yeah. their billboards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw the same in the TV show Cobra Kai, where they they had like a billboard fight with his uh, local competitor. And I wouldn't have believed it had I not been driving in America and actually seen this and be like, okay, that's a thing. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they paid... I guess everyone's in their car all the time because of the the geography of the country. But it always always surprised me how popular billboards are and and they must work. Yeah. You you guys going to take out billboards? Maybe? I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know what you're calling them. Maybe. Yeah. We need to find our our niche state in uh, in the US that's into subscriptions and then. Maybe, maybe maybe metaverse billboards. Here Ooh, we are. Yeah. Yeah. Watch this. Watch that space. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe but that sounds like a kind of a New York or an LA thing. Maybe I don't know. I don't know who's. <laughs> I don't know which uh, city in the US would be the most into into the metaverse in terms of billboards. But yeah. um, I'll leave that for you guys to find out. You, I think you can you can already buy you can already buy billboard space in games like Grand Theft Auto and that sort of stuff. So it's already you know it's already there. It's just it's just again it's not at scale yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a yeah interesting place in which to finish uh, finish the the, the pods. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been an interesting discussion, guys. Um, so I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for for coming on the uh, Media Cat Magazine podcast. Great, thanks for having us, and uh, yeah, look forward to. We're really enjoying the magazine and looking forward to kind of kind of tracking with you guys as as Media Cat grows grows and grows. So good stuff. Thanks so much. Cheers. <laughs>